From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to The Surgery Set. As always, if you enjoyed the program, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you downloaded this podcast. It really helps us grow. On this episode, I speak with Dr. Mike Mulholland, until very recently the chair of the Department of Surgery at the University of Michigan and the new Senior Associate Dean of Clinical Affairs for the University of Michigan Medical School, where he also serves as Executive Director of the University of Michigan Medical Group. In his dean role, Dr. Mulholland is responsible for executive leadership and faculty practice, as well as ambulatory care operations, e-health initiatives, physician workforce planning, and more. As you'll hear, his years building the surgical program at Michigan have well prepared him for those roles. Dr. Mulholland received his bachelor's in medical degrees from Northwestern University. He then completed his training at the University of Minnesota. He joined the University of Michigan faculty in 1988 as assistant professor and rose through the ranks to professor in 1995. He served as head of the section of general surgery and program director of the general surgery residency program from 1997 to 2002 and was named chair of the Department of Surgery in 2002 until just recently. Dr. Mulholland is principal investigator for a research laboratory that has been continuously funded by the National Institutes of Health since 1988. His research interests include neuroendocrine control of pancreatic exocrine secretion and enteric neurobiology, but we talk most about how he very deliberately built a department of surgery that is among the most diverse and vibrant in the nation. I hope you enjoy our discussion. So, Dr. Mulholland, thank you so much for joining us here on the surgery set and joining us here in Madison for a, a really wonderful talk. I'm glad to be here. It's my honor. I remember my interview at Michigan would have been 15 years ago now, something like that, and I made a, a terrible Ohio State joke at the lunch, and uh, I'd like to take this opportunity before we really get started with the podcast to apologize. How did your match go? Uh, very poorly, <laughs> as, as you might expect. Lessons learned early in life. Still feeling it today. I really enjoyed your, your talk um, that you gave today as part of our Grand Rounds, and what I most took away from and what I'd most like to, to discuss with you, and obviously the, the talk is available for people to watch online, core of what you got to, I think, is this idea of teams and the power of teams over individuals and groups over individuals. Can you talk a little bit about the way that you have, as chair at Michigan, moved away from this notion of we only want the very top performers on certain metrics to be at our institution or to be leaders in surgery? You bet. So I think there's a clear understanding that teams win in terms uh, of uh, being more innovative, coming to decisions more accurately, making better predictions, um, being more financially successful. But they only win under certain circumstances. Team effort is uh, most effective for those jobs that are variable, complex, and intellectually based. And so surgery is highly variable. It's very complex. And it is the most uh, intellectually based form of medical practice. And because I want the Department of Surgery Admission to be competitive and successful, I believe that, that teams win. But diverse teams win 
more often than uniform teams. And the reason for that is that they bring a whole series of different perspectives to a problem. You know, if you have one viewpoint on things, you're unaware of many other aspects of a problem or blind to other possible solutions or other, you know, other possibilities of how to how to go forward in the future. And so it's, an, I think, a relatively easy concept to understand that cognitive diversity is is more effective than uniformity for teams that face complex problems. The question is, how do you get to cognitive diversity? We can't read people's minds. And so a, a way to do that is to understand that different people bring different life experiences that informs their cognitive diversity. Men and women have different life experiences. White Americans and African American Americans have different experiences. You know, people with different uh, genders, people of uh, different ages, all of that is contributory to having more than one perspective on how things uh, might develop. So I really believe that teamwork trumps individual work and that diverse teams trump uniform teams. But diverse teams only make only reach their full potential in certain conditions, and that is the conditions that are open and inclusive in circumstances where people feel free to talk, free to socialize. I think there's a, a lot of evidence now that says that in addition to technical expertise, the socialization of teams is just as important in getting the results out for the reasons that I just said. So the underlying reason for trying to change the surgery at, at Michigan is to construct teams that are diverse and an environment where they'll prosper the most. And so all of those elements, teamwork, diversity, openness, and inclusion are necessary to get the best results. You made what I thought was a, a really compelling analogy. You know, if you, if you want to build the fastest relay race team, right, you take the four fastest 200-yard runners and make them your 800-yard relay team. But if you want to do something more complicated, like predict the United States economy, right, you gather a bunch of diverse perspectives and average them. You apply sort of the power of the market. And it's not that you ask, you know, people with no economic training to make economic predictions, but you, within a range of experts, accept a wide range of opinions. You sort of make the case, I think, that I had I never really thought about it this way, but you know I think historically maybe we've thought of surgeons as as athletes as you know sprinters, and we want to get all the fastest sprinters on our relay team. And you're saying maybe it's it's not that it's we we need this diversity of opinion to actually be better as uh, as an institution or even as individuals. I think what what I'm trying to say is you need two things: ability plus diversity. Mm. So you need both things, and they are additive one to another. So as surgeons, for example, you need people that can operate. So there is a certain physical skill, manual dexterity, mental ability to, for example, picture things in three dimensions in an operating room and and all the things that go along with that. You, you can't have a department of surgery in which p people cannot operate. But in addition to that, 
you need people that beyond that ability also have different perspectives on you know, how to conduct an operation, how to do surgical research, how to teach the next generation, how to take into account the social determinants of health and apply that in a complex system of surgical care. So you need both elements. If you just look at ability, uh, and here's a, an example that many surgery departments would uh, would uh, recognize. If you just looked at board scores in picking surgery residents and you picked the people that uh, had the highest board scores, you get the same thing. You get people that are really good at taking a board test, but not might not be good at other things that might have other parts that you would need absent. And so I think it's really important that we try to pick people that are different from one another, not just board scores, but other life experiences, I know exposure to research, service organizations, uh, international exposure. You know, there's a thousand things that you can measure on a CV and a thousand more that you can assess by talking to someone and uh, seeing how that they think about problems and how they live their life that might be different from one another. Can you talk a little bit about some of the specific strategies that you've taken, both in selecting residents yeah. and in, in selecting new faculty, to try to get away from that sort of cueing to only the quantitative <clears throat> measures of success? You bet. It's easiest to see in how we f- select faculty. I think a very traditional way of selecting faculty, you have an opening for a colorectal surgeon or you, you need another trauma surgeon or something. A very typical way in the past would be for the the leader, the chair or the division chief to call his or her friends and say, who do you have in your training that might be good for us? Who do you know? And when you call your f- friends, what you do is you call into familiarity. And when they give you people that, that you both recognize, you get familiarity and you get the same thing. And so what we really try to do now is to be sure that we don't go through these sort of established networks. And in the course of doing that, ignore talent that has been unaware. So a practical way that we do this is we post job positions with organizations that we haven't met before. Uh, Society of Black Academic Surgeons, National Hispanic Medical Association, Associate Women Surgeons, and we try to develop deep relationships with those organizations so that a broader talent pool will be available to us. Secondly, we manage their interviews differently. We have a requirement in the department that for every single job opening, every single one, uh, we will not hire anyone until we've had at least two women and at least two underrepresented minorities come for a campus visit. Not that we called them on the phone. They came and visited us. And so that's just an effort to instill some discipline to make sure that we're uh, managing a broad group of people. They are interviewed by a committee. And so typically it's about a dozen people. They have behavior-based questions. And every candidate is asked the same series of questions. So what happens is that those a dozen people all hear the same answer and apply their individual interpretations to that, but they have the same data, and it's relevant data. The question would be, how do you handle a complication? 
how do you write a research paper? Uh, tell me something that you did uh, in the furtherance of adult education. You know, there are, and they're they're based at the level of experience. So, the re relevant questions, a diverse group of people, here's the same answer, and then that committee has to come to a consensus about it by talking about the candidates. They must openly acknowledge their own viewpoints, recognize their own implicit biases, and come to a group consensus about that. So it's sort of, it's it's teams building teams. It's right? teams building teams, and it's trying to pick the best person, but also following on with that, a recruitment is not, only half of it's about picking someone. The other half is setting up the conditions that make them succeed after they are picked. Mm -hmm. And so the the selection is not meant to end at the selection. It's meant to uh, be the entree to a, a new faculty's life at Michigan and a series of reciprocal obligations on part of that committee that they will then help them succeed. So one one point you made, I think, brilliantly was, uh, you know, good <clears throat> intentions are not enough, right? It's not enough to say, oh, we want our faculty to be diverse. We want a range of perspectives. We'll try to do that, right? You have mm -hmm. taken very concrete steps with, you know, mandatory trainings for mm -hmm. your faculty and, and your house staff and these sort of regimented ways of of creating diversity, right? Mandating that you actually interview these other candidates. Yeah, structure uh, is important in life. Uh, we can all say that we have good intentions and excuse ourselves from failing to achieve a goal by saying, well, we, we meant well. Uh, and for surgeons, uh, if you think about your conduct in an operating room, you'll all realize that it's not okay for us to say, well, we meant to resect the tumor. We meant to have the patient survive the operation. We meant to do these things. We, we need to do that, and we need to set together those processes and safeguards and standards that uh, assure that we will resect the tumor, the patient will survive the operation, that that the long-term prognosis is improved by our intervention. That kind of rigor that informs our professional operative practice has to inform our, our treatment of each other and personnel decisions. Having now achieved real success in, in, in your efforts at Michigan, the next step seems to be to broaden those perspectives, do do more sort of a multi-institutional yes. approach. Talk a little bit about the, the Promise Coalition, which is the way of taking these ideas that were spawned at Michigan and applying them more broadly. The Michigan Promise is the University of Michigan's formulation about how that how we might move forward. It has six elements to it that range from topics on recruitment to achievement to leadership to innovation to you know to to outreach. And uh, in forming that, there, uh, there's a seventh element that's uh, not apparent, and that is a research element. The question is, what works? What doesn't work? And the only way to find out about that is to study those best practices, develop those, and publish about that. At least that's our view of that. And so we formed the seventh element to be a research, research element inside the department where we are the objects of study. And the next question is, since institutions have both similarities and differences, how might that be generalized across the nation? And we decided uh, to reach out to four other institutions that would join us in this effort that would similarly approach recruitment, achievement, 
leadership development, innovation, and pool our data, pool our resources, and to try to publish about that in the same way that multi-institutional trials for cancer surgery or vascular interventions uh, or cardiovascular medic uh, medications w would be pooling their clinical data. And we picked uh, four places that are geographically dispersed across the country, one on the West Coast, Stanford, one in the Midwest, Wisconsin, one on the East Coast, Brigham Hospital, and one in the South, University of Alabama and Birmingham, to try to recognize that there's diversity in the populations they serve and the circumstances in which they live their lives. Such a remarkable example. All of what you're talking about is just strikes me of as sort of reassuring in a way that surgeons, by learning to be surgeons, by learning to have the technical ability, detail orientation, OR leadership, right? If you, if you can translate what makes a successful OR into an institutional or national model, there really is utility in having surgeons as leaders and as thought leaders in how to build better institutions. Like we have a specific skill set around getting people out of the operating room alive with their tumor resected that actually applies to how do you build a successful organization? It's a big, it's a lot at stake for our country. Surgical practice is uh, both impactful and, and highly expensive and highly scrutinized. Surgeons represent about 10% of uh, specialist physicians in the United States, uh, but their practice accounts for about 50% of expenditures for specialty healthcare in the United States. Typically, they account for half of the revenue, inpatient revenue of large institutions. So they're, in spite of a relatively small number, they have a really big impact on American health care. And uh, it would be important, a social obligation on our part to be effective in that. And the, this effort is meant to make us most effective in delivering our obligation to our patients. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here in Madison for your visit and here on the podcast. It's a great honor to be able to hear about the exciting things you guys are doing in Michigan. My pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Join us next time on The Surgery Set when I speak with Dr. Lane Frazier, one of our chief residents here at the University of Wisconsin. We talk about her research evaluating teamwork and communication in the operating room. It's fascinating stuff. Tune in. Thanks for listening. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.